Well, as our children go to children's church, we uh, just trust that God will use uh, their leaders and, and really share the truth of God's word with them. Well, we're in a series in which we're talking about truth, and if we were to use the words of uh, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke uh, by inspiration of the Spirit, uh, we're, we're talking about the exact truth. And it's really kind of a sad um, kind of uh, environment that we're living in now, but actually throughout historical uh, history of man is that when you talk about truth, sometimes you have to qualify. This is, this is the truth. This is, this is really the truth. This is the exact truth. Because if it's true, it should always be exact. It should be always accurate. And we are living in today when uh, now we're hearing all kinds of different things. Normally when you think about news, if you heard the news, you're just assuming that they're going to tell you something you don't know. But now you have to wonder, as they give me the news, is this true news or is this fake news? And how sad that might be. And then you take another word that we just assume means something like facts. And now they don't just say, I'm going to tell you about facts, but I'm going to give you alternative facts. And then depending upon which side of the aisle is, or which, which are the facts that are alternative or the true facts, and which are the alternative facts or the false facts. And it just goes on and on and on. I was reading this past week about bots. I think that's how they said. Have you heard about that? Bots are those uh, created energy elements that you can throw into the internet, and it will create a, a surreal group of people that will then be communicated in such a way that you're thinking this is what the masses are thinking are doing, and it's all created by the person behind the, the means by which they can import this on the computer and on the internet. And so no matter which means of communication, you're, you're struck with the fact, uh, the news and the, the bots, that they might all be surreal and not true. And, and so this morning as we uh, look in God's Word again, we're really assuming that what this is all about is true, and Luke claims that to be the case, but we're also looking at with an investigative mind and say, well, why should we believe this is true? And more importantly than anything else, it's, it all centers about Jesus. If you get Jesus wrong, then you get this book wrong. And if this book communicates to us what's wrong about Jesus, then we got everything that's wrong. And, and so as we look at this, we're looking at how Jesus wants us to live out the truth, but we're also trying to convince ourselves that Jesus really is the truth. And so this morning, that's kind of a long introduction to what uh, I want to share with you, is we're going to look at about the truth about Jesus and temptations. And I was going to take some time, um, and maybe we'll, depending upon how much time I take, uh, we might have an opportunity to spend additional time in prayer. But uh, would anybody here with a hand raised admit that sometimes you struggle doing those things you shouldn't do or not doing the things you should do? Anybody struggle there? Okay, well, I think we would all admit there are times where we don't quite live out what we even want to live out. And the Bible will kind of summarize that in, in going through life where you're enticed to do things that you should not do or enticed to not do the things that you should do. And if we're thinking about Jesus truly being who he claims to be, and, and before Luke chapter 4 comes Luke chapter 3. And from Luke chapter 3 last week, we looked at, at, at Jesus beginning his ministry. And he began his ministry with a splash, uh, pun intended, is he got baptized. And when he got baptized, it was like no other baptism that I've ever uh, been part of, uh, whether I've witnessed it or been the one performing it, is there, there was a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, and then there was a manifestation of the Spirit of God like a dove coming upon him and, and emphasizing that the Spirit was giving witness, witness to him. 
And then you had John as Jesus was in the, in the waters of baptism uh, just proclaiming that he didn't even need, need to be baptized because there had been no sin or observable sin in his life. And so Jesus begins his ministry in such a way that there's a public pronouncement of who he is. But as that announcement is given, and people can give all kinds of announcements, you wonder, well, this announcement, is it, is it really true? We've got some people giving evidence to it, but if he is the Son of God, how, how would we know? And there's a lot of ways we ought to know, but if, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then as he is tested in life, as he is tempted in life, he always passes the test. He's always able to deal with the temptation. Because if, if God is God and he's come and visited this planet, then I would expect his life to, to live a life that is sinless, that's perfect. And any human person who's claimed some claim about being somehow better than anybody else, all you have to look at their life and you begin to realize that they've got some things in their closet. They've got some things that, that don't match up to the words of, of being this leader that ought, everyone ought to follow because he is a life worthy to be emulated. And so this morning we're going to look at, first of all, what, what's true about Jesus? And then we're going to look about, well, how do we learn from Jesus how we ought to deal with temptations and the tests that come our way? If Jesus truly is the Son of God, he must pass the test and handle temptations. And just looking a little bit at the record, not only through Luke, but other people. Um, remember when uh, Jesus was brought before Pilate? And Pilate, who wasn't known historically as well as in the Bible, as someone with a lot of mercy and compassion. But as he began to investigate the life of Jesus in John 19.4, it says that he brought him out, Jesus. And he said, I want you to know I have found no guilt in him. We know earlier, or not earlier, but we know in the account of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, I believe it is, you have Pilate's wife just, uh, just being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus, and even in a dream is bothered by this man that is being brought before those in positions of power from a human perspective and said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. And, and really, if, if God were to become a man, what would he be like? He would be just like Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin when he went to the cross for us. And so the Bible presents Jesus as the one who passed every test and every temptation. In Hebrews 7.26 and 27, just want to emphasize this so strongly. We have this again defining. If Jesus is who he claims to be, he's got to be able to measure up here. For it is fitting that we should have such a high priest... Speaking of Jesus, holy, innocent, and undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Anybody want to take that claim here? I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the measuring stick here. Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins. And why would Jesus be unlike any other high priest, that he wouldn't have to offer up sacrifices for his own sins? Who's, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Because he had no sin. And then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And so we present Jesus as who he claimed to be because he, he lives it out. He, he passes the test. If God were to become a man, he would be completely righteous. He would be without guilt because he had no sin. He would be like, in no, like no other religious leader. There was no means or reason for him to somehow deal with his sin because he had no sin. 
but he would come to deal the sins of other people. Well, in what ways are people tempted? And in what ways was Jesus tempted? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and if I'm speaking fast, I've got a lot of things I want to, tell, to say today. Uh, this, is, this is what uh, John wrote. Do not love the world, speaking to the church there, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's not in this passage, but in the passage we're going to see here. There's really only three means by which we are enticed to do that which is evil. Uh, The world system says, okay, I'm I'm trying to kind of press you into the mold. I want you to be like everybody else. And if you do what everybody else does, you're going to fall into sin. And, and, And there are things in the world. All you have to do is watch the advertisements and watch those who are in public arenas and and they are just luring you in just to do what they do because it looks like they're getting away with it why don't I get away with it as well and if you're loving the messages in the world pretty strongly John says you don't have the love of father in you because this is exact opposite of what God wants you to do but we'll be enticed with the world um, the evil one Satan and even our own flesh, and Jesus didn't have that particular part in terms of the sin nature, but his physical body needed certain things. And that's the avenue by which um, our senses will be attracted to do that which is evil. But he goes on and says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust, its desires... But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So basically, there are three ways, uh, not only in terms of the world, the flesh, and the evil one, but the lust of uh, the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is that what draws us to fall apart from God's plan for our life. Well, if Jesus is all he is, then he's got he's to demonstrate it. How do you know someone is like he says he is or she is? You, you put it to the test. And so right after this extreme experience of, of, of the manifestation of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, um, the Spirit of God leads him to uh, be tested or tempted by the evil one. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. This is a significant passage in understanding Jesus, but it gets very personal because it, it really leads to us understanding our own journey and how we are to face life. We all admitted that we, we can struggle. We all struggle. Well, how do we deal with the struggles that come our way? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. And how long was he there? For 40 days. And he was tempted by the devil. Uh, and there was a comedian that was pretty popular in the olden days. And, and whenever he did something wrong, he said, who made him do it? The devil made him do it. And... Let's just be honest here. The devil is not omnipresent, you know, omniscient, all-powerful. Uh, and so sometimes when we think it's the devil who made us do something, we probably aren't enough you know, high on the food chain for the devil personally to attack us. He's got a demonic world that does that. But the devil, the, the top guy, went after Jesus because if somehow he could mess Jesus up, all of God's plans would be for naught. And so the devil comes out to tempt him in the wilderness. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. So, so we need to understand the, the setting here. It, it, we're talking about a desolate area. There, is, there are no uh, 
creature comforts there. He is living in a barren uh, territory, and he has chosen not to eat for 40 days. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why, why did he do that? Well, we don't know as far as in the, the, the black print, but in the spaces here, you could probably assume the reason he did that because he wanted to focus his attention on his relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit and, and, and tying into, as we talked about last week, that he, he, was, he was not Superman and Clark Kent. His whole life had to be dependent upon the Spirit working in his life, and so he was drawing close in his relationship with God. But when you don't eat for 40 days, you get hungry. And so here we have the evil one now trying to entice Jesus to do that which he should not do. And as we think about that, and we're going to look at three temptations this morning, and I think you can categorize all temptations that Jesus faced, and this wasn't the only time he got tempted by the evil one. We know that was in so many different ways throughout his ministry. But this was probably the most intense time. And it mirrors here what what we face. And uh, we're going to see that. We're basically, and I'll just say it now, you, you, you're going to be tempted in your life uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and we're going to see that in the life of Jesus. And the first one is the most obvious one. He was tempted physically. And he said he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God... And really had the idea, since you are the Son of God, he knew that he was, that tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So what was he doing here? He was tempted, and this you could say very simply was the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And what is it when we get tempted uh, physically? We're tempted with the desires to meet a need that is good in a bad way. And, and when you think about anything related to the physical arena, that, that's, that's where it comes down. It, it is that there was nothing wrong with Jesus eating. Would we agree there? I mean, if you haven't eaten for 40 days, you know, let's, let's fill up the plate, right? There was nothing wrong with eating. But he was going to do it in a wrong way. Now, now could we do that if, if we didn't have food? If we were to, to take something that wasn't ours? If we would result to stealing would, would that be eating in a wrong way? Of course it would. Or, or take any desire. Let, let's take the sexual desires. Uh, God created sex. But can, can you participate in sexual relationships in a bad way? Of course you can. And, and whenever you do something that you now say, well, it's just, it's just, it's just my desire. I, I just needed it. it was, but you don't do it according to God's plan. It, it, it becomes destructive. And so we all need to look at our, you know, it's, it's, there's, you can think in so many different ways how, how, how that which is out there that we want, but in obtaining it, if it destroys trust or relationships with other people, or it becomes so, you become so preoccupied with that which is physical that it somehow gets you off focusing on it rather than the one who made it. I mean, it could, be, it could be, you know, the Bible talks about idols, and sometimes when we talk about idols, we think about it's those things that people might put on their, on their, their car, you know, it, and they see it when they drive, or, or, or maybe it's something they bow down to. But anything physical that becomes more important than what God wants in our lives or 
the people in our lives. I mean, it could be a car. You know, it could be a second home. It could be your own home. It could, it could be people in your life. It could be your family. It could be anything. And it's good, but if you pursue it in a bad way or in a priority way beyond that God has for you, God gives you that which is important and special, and you, and you ruin it because you pursue it and you follow it in ways that aren't God-honoring and not healthy and helpful. You know, Jesus, interesting, you know, had, he had a number of ministries with food. When uh, he was teaching for long periods of time and people didn't bring enough food to eat, he could feed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He could probably multiply it uh, as far as not only just the men but the women and children up to 20,000. There was nothing wrong with eating food, but it can't be the priority. Remember the story in John chapter 4, I have it. I have it, uh, at least the reference here, John chapter 4, verses 31 through 34, is you have Jesus speaking to the, 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 the Samaritan woman, and he's, he's speaking to her about spiritual things and drawing her into faith and trust in, in him as, his, as her Savior and Lord. And she goes off to tell the people in the town, and the disciples who had gone off to get something to eat came back, and, and they looked at Jesus, and they, and they were trying to encourage him to eat, and he said, <laughs> I have food to eat which you know not of. And the disciples, only thinking on human level, said, well, did, did somebody come that, that we don't, we're not aware of that, that, and came and fed him lunch? And he said, my food is to do the will of my Father who's in heaven. And, and as we think about how we, how we face temptation when it comes physically, we need to analyze, is this, is this something that is good? And if it's something bad, you don't want to participate in it. But even if it is something good, am I doing it in such a way that this really brings me to the point of being more obedient to God and following after his will? We need to be able to say yes to things in life and willing to say no to things in life. And, and we need to be able to say, well, I need to wait for things in life. I mean, to, to take even being people who are shopaholics, I mean, people who, who have to go out there, I just have, I just have to buy something. Now, I, you have to buy something to make you feel good? Is that really where your source of joy and happiness is? Jesus, could, he could give up eating if something more important was happening in his life. We are going to face temptations that are physical. And when we do, we need, we need to quote God's word and remember what's most important. But the evil one doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, take those stones and turn them into, into bread. He, he goes on in verse 5, and he says this, and he, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Now you think, well, did the evil one really have the opportunity to do that? Well, the Bible says that he is the God of this age. He's the prince of the power of the darkness. The, the Bible says, and this is interesting when you get tempted in a, spirit, in, a, in a way from the evil one, whether it's him or demonic forces, is that he, he comes in various ways. The Bible says in in First Peter, I believe it is First Peter five, that that he'll come like a roaring lion. He will come and intimidate. 
but the Bible also says in, in Corinthians 11 that he will come as an angel of light. And so he, so he comes to Jesus at this time and he says, uh, I, want you, I want you to see something. I want you to see all that's out there. And you can have it. I can give it to you. And I can give it to you right now. And, and so Jesus was being confronted mentally. I mean, this, this, this could work. He has the power to do this. God has given him this freedom. And, and emotionally, he's thinking, you know, wh- why would I want to go through all that suffering and pain to, 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 to take all the nations of the world? And so Jesus was tempted mentally and emotionally uh, through the lust of the eyes, what he saw. And he was tempted with thoughts of doubt and, and feelings to escape painful hardships. We, we know later on that, that Satan tempted Jesus this way in the Garden of Gethsemane. When, when he, he didn't want to go through the suffering of the cross. And he said, look, at, you can have this now. How much would we be willing to give up if somehow we could keep pain from happening? If we wouldn't have to struggle as hard as we are? I mean, partly when you look at the temptation of Jesus, what's unique about him is that, you know, we, we have our tipping point, and sometimes when we get there, then we just give in. But, you know, but Jesus never gave in, and so it was, it was constant. You don't have to go this way. You, you, you can have it so much easier. You know, Vince Lombardi was a, was a coach of the Green Bay Packers, and, and he would just he would bring his players through conditioning over and over and over again. They said, why do you work us so hard? Because fatigue makes cowards of us all. If somehow we can not give it 100%, then we'll give in. And, and so that's what the evil one was doing here. Emotionally and mentally, he just was, this could be, this could be done this way. In James chapter 5, in all of God's, I just want to read this passage to you. As you think of people that were called by God to do special things for him, and really God causes all people to do special things for him, but as you look at the prophets that came before Jesus, in James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, it says this, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion, is merciful. But what did he take them through? Times of suffering. And, and sometimes that's, that's when we give up. When the pain is such that we're saying, I, I can't do it anymore. But what was the response of Jesus in James chapter 4 to this account? Because what the price was by the evil one. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, so it came down to the very simple thing. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow your own emotions and, and maybe a mentally the way to get out of this? Or are you going to say, no, I've decided once and for all. That God alone deserves my worship and my allegiance. 
third, there's a third temptation that came to Jesus, and you can say he got tempted spiritually here. Is in verse 9, it says, And he led him, the evil one, led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, and now we have above the Kindron Valley up in the pinnacle there. It's about a 450-foot drop. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up and, and, and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And we know, we know this was uh, attempted spiritually because at that point he began putting you know, possible uh, thoughts of doubt of putting God to the test and, and not submitting to his revealed plan. And really, this could have worked. If, if you want, again, have a way in which people would be impressed, then, then jump off a cliff and, and not get hurt. They say, I, we could do that. It's a promise of God's word that, that he will send his angels to preserve me. But then he responded very powerfully, and he said this. And Jesus answered and said to him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And really, it was the kind of the sin of presumption here is that many times we want to say, well, God, if, if you're really God, then just get me out of this mess or get me out of that mess or just help me here. If you'll just, if you'll just heal my loved one who's going through cancer, if somehow you'll just get me that job or if you'll just somehow um, make my, my marriage work or whatever it might be. And we say, well, I'll trust you if you'll do this. And this is probably where we often struggle with God. To say, God, I'll believe in you if somehow you'll fix this. Now, God, can God fix anything? Of course he can. But we live in a fallen, sinful world, and some things don't get fixed. You know, the, the Bible really only tells us we ought to test God in one area. That's testing with our money. In Malachi chapter 3, he says, just test me. You know, if you're generous, that I will provide for you. But beyond that, we, we trust God whether he, he comes through or not. You know, in, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of stories there that, that uh, are great for children, but they're great for adults as well. You know, we remember Daniel and the lion's den, but remember his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that story? They were going to throw him in the fiery furnace. And all they had to do to get out of the fiery furnace is fall to that test and say, okay, I, I'll deny God here at this, this moment. And we probably all thought, that, why didn't they just deny God then and then say, no, I take it back? You ever, you ever think that way? Shake your head like you thought that way. Okay, you know, I, 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 will, I will say I don't really, I'm not sure I really believe him, but then I say I really do believe him, but I just want to get out of this, this mess or this, this conversation, get out of surviving, not looking too bad. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to die our God. And, and, and so they're about to be thrown in the fire furnished, but right before they said, we will not deny him. And even if he doesn't preserve us from the, this fire, we'll still trust him. See, that's the test here, is when God doesn't come through as you want him to come through, will you still trust him? Or are you putting God to the test rather than God putting you to the test? And, and so you see, we, we see that Jesus went through the test of physical 
desires for food, getting something in that is good in a bad way. But he said, no, I don't, ha- I don't have to eat physically at this moment. I can survive. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then when he was given that opportunity to, to, to somehow accomplish God's plan in a different way, but he's not going to worship that which is evil when really the only option is to worship God. And then when you give him the test and say, well, okay, spiritual, are you going to doubt God and his plan? In Luke chapter 22, verses 42, we have the account of Jesus, that familiar part in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, if you can take this cup from me, but not your will be done, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so at that point, he had to really trust God's word to be true. And Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, let me give you a few truths about temptations. And of course, we look at these temptations, and they're kind of overwhelming compared to how we get tempted. I mean, we can see some principles from it. But let me just talk about it. Temptation is, uh, and there are two ways to look at it. God's involvement in those things that we are enticed to do that which is wrong does not come from God, but God allows it to test us, to demonstrate what is true about ourselves. I, I, I like this story about that was in a, a section that McGee wrote concerning um, understanding the difference between how God works and, and how the evil one works. He says, when I was a boy in West Texas, we lived on the West Fork of the Brazza River. In the summertime, there was not enough water in the stream to rust a, a shingle a nail. It was dry it, in wintertime. However, you, you could have kept a battleship afloat on it. One year, we had a flood, and it washed out a railroad bridge over the river, Santa Fe, workers uh, came immediately to build a new bridge. When the bridge was completed, they put two engines on the bridge and tied down the whistles. We had never heard two engine whistles blow at the same time, so everyone raced to the bridge, all 27 of us. It wasn't exactly a big town. One brave fellow in the crowd asked, what are you doing? And the engineer replied, we are testing the bridge. You think it will break? And the young man responded, of course it won't break. Well, the engineer said with almost a sneer, if you know it won't break, why are you putting the engines on the bridge? And the young man answered, just to prove that it won't break. And see, that's what happened with Jesus when he had the temptations. Was he going to break? No, he wasn't going to break, but we needed proof that he wouldn't break. And that's what God does in our lives, is he gives us tests. He gives us tests that we won't break to show that we won't break. But there is an evil one that will have certain victories in our life because he'll entice us to do that which is evil and we'll give in. But I want you to know this about temptation. Number one, the initial thought to do evil is not sin. Uh, and sometimes we will give, sometimes there is such a thing as false guilt. Where we're going to feel bad about just thinking or feeling something. That, that's not wrong. That's the evil one and the world and our own flesh 
drawing what's true in this fallen world that, that there are some things out there that are shiny that we want to have. There are some there are certain things we want to do that if we could get away with it, we would do. There are certain words that will come out of our mouth because it makes us feel better at that moment. There's certain priorities that we don't want to have or we should have. And those things, those thoughts are not wrong. The initial thought is not sin. It's what we do with it. And the other thing he wants us to read, and, and, and let, me just, let me just read that passage. Hebrews chapter 4. This is the uniqueness that we have with Jesus in terms of how he faces temptation and how we can lean upon him. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, uh, we have these words. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so he, if he was tempted, that means he had the initial thoughts to do that which was not God-honoring. That was not sin when Jesus had the thoughts to do that. It's what he did with them. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Now, if we get the thought to do whatever it might be to not follow God's plan in our life, to, to, to give in to that which we know is wrong and not according to God's plan, what do we need to remember? Number two, you can resist the tempter and pass any test. You don't have to fall to temptation. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, if we say no to the, the evil one, he can't overcome us. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man, which simply means whatever you go through, you're not the only one who's gone through it. Not only has Jesus gone through it, but other people as well. No temptation or an enticement to do evil has come to you that is not common to other people. But God will allow, but no temptation over but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. That's a long verse with straightforward truth. Is that God will filter whatever t temptation you have to the point that it's not going to be overwhelming that you cannot overcome it. And you need to remind yourself that because sometimes you say, I just couldn't help myself. That's just the way I'm wired. That's just what I've done in the past. My past predicts what I'm going to do in the present and in the future. Now, that might have been your pattern, but it doesn't have to be. Is that God said, look it, I will filter what you're going to experience. And if you'll just trust me, I'll give you one of two things. You'll, you'll be able to escape it or you'll be able to endure it. Personally, I'd rather escape it. But sometimes God says, no, this is going to be a constant challenge in your life and you can endure it. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome temptation. In Galatians 5 or 16, it says this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Some of you are familiar in Romans chapter 7. Paul goes on, and he says, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I, I, uh, I, I should do, I don't do. And... Man, who's going who's gonna to deliver me from this, this wretched man that I am in the flesh? And we can all say, I can sure relate with the Apostle Paul. 
He struggles just like I struggle. And in reality, he says, I often just fail, fail, fail. And we do fail. But then he goes on, but, but don't, don't stop there. When he goes in Romans chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and talks about how the Spirit of God allows us to overcome the things of the flesh. And so the, the challenge for us is when we're about to give in, we've got to make sure we're surrendered to the Spirit. To God, I, I, I can't handle it, but I know your Spirit can empower me to handle it. But there's a fourth ingredient, and, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God is essential for victory. The Word of God is essential for victory. In Psalm 119, the question is posed, well, how can a young man, and you could probably also say an old man or a middle-aged man, or you could put both genders there, how can you keep your, yourself pure? And he says, you, you can keep yourself pure by keeping the Word of God. Well, how do you keep the Word of God? He says, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because you know, all sin begins up in here in our mind, in our thoughts, and then it entices us in our desires, and it moves out into our actions. And, and how we deal with that which is evil, that which will, will destroy our lives, is that we've got to reprogram our mind. And that's throughout the Word of God. It says, it says in Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the Word of God is that which cleans out that which is wrong. And so there's a constant way we need to deal with temptation. One is to realize the thought of it is not sin, but what you do with it. Secondly, to realize whatever I am struggling with, it's not overwhelming to the point where I can't find a way of escape or endurance by God's power. And I need to realize that the power is found in a person. It's the Spirit of God. But for me to think like God thinks, I've got to have the Word of God leading and guiding me. So what's the so what this morning as it relates to, to our head and our heart and our hands? Our active part in dealing with temptation is this. For our head, we need to learn and obey God's Word. And in, in 2 Peter 3.18... And this is why we emphasize so much our small groups uh, to get you in God's word, discussing God's word, sharing God's word with each other, and, and praying for each other. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we never arrive at that point where we know it all and heard it all. And even when we've known it and heard it, we need to hear it and know it again. We need the word of God continually growing within us. It purifies us. It cleans us. And, the, and then, of course, once we learn it, then we've got to obey it. In John 13, 17, he said, If you know these things, happy or blessed are you if you do them. And so this is a very active part of the Christian life. If we're going to live it out, then we've got to learn God's word and obey God's word. I often will share this with people who struggle like all of us struggle with. You know, I, I've, forgotten, I've probably forgotten as much of the Word of God as I've remembered, remembered it. Have you ever gone that and you think, man, it seems I can't, I can't seem to retain it. it. It seems like as I get in God's Word, it's like I'm put in this bucket and there's a hole in the bucket. You ever feel like that way? 
You know, you say, man, I, I, I get it, and then I forget it. I get it, and then I forget it. I mean, it just, it's hopeless. Well, let me, let me throw this in. It's like, it's like filling up a bucket with water over and over again, and all it comes, it just leaks out. But you know what the, the positive part of that is? If you keep pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it, you'll have the cleanest bucket in town, right? Because you're just allowing that, that flow of water to clean it. And see, that's, that's our attitude towards God. We want to have the cleanest bucket. Our vessel needs to be clean, and it gets cleaned by the Word of God. And it gets guided by the Word of God. So learn and obey God's Word. Secondly, and this has already been talked about, be filled with the Spirit. You know, Paul just pleads with the church in Ephesus. Be filled with the Spirit. And it's really in the present tense there. Keep being on filled with the Spirit. Don't get, don't get drunk with the things of this world, but be filled with the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that gives us power over that which entices to do evil. And it's not only just running from evil, it's running to that which is good. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Well, how does that happen? It's when you depend on the Spirit, when you want His life running through your life. When you're at, at that point, you just can't handle it anymore. Say, God, you can do it through me. Give me the love. Give me the joy. Give me the patience. Give me the goodness. Give me the faithfulness. Give me the gentleness. Give me the self-control. And then what about your hands? And here, this is a point sometimes we just don't emphasize enough with temptations. Is that for some sin, we've got to run from it. We can't, we can't be around it. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.18... Flee every immorality. You know, every other sin, he's really talking about sins of the flesh are outside the body, but this is that which will destroy you on the inside. Don't, don't put yourself in environments that, that cause you to be overstimulated in things. You know, if, I, if I'm trying to lose a few pounds, I don't, I don't go into the candy shop, you know. I just want one. They give you one free, right? It sees candy. But uh, I'm just going to eat one. Well, I ought to buy a box in case I want one later. I mean, you know, whatever it might be, okay? I was reading, a, I was watching a, I was watching the life story of uh, Robin Williams the other day. What a sad case. In many ways, he was one of my f- favorite comedians. He was so funny. But you, if you read or hear about his life, what a waste. He ran to sin. Because that destroyed his marriage, destroyed his health, and in the end, his life, he gave it away. Why? Because he was enticed by things and he ran to them. What does God want for us? He wants us to live lives, and we know it's not going to be perfect, but he wants us to live lives that follow the perfect one. 
And really God's heart is he wants us to be successful in living out this life. Sometimes we think it's God is up there and he's, he's only looking for, for ways to, to see us do that which is wrong. He's up there to see his children do well. And he set the example. He said, look, it, I understand. I've been tempted in all ways like you, even more intensely than you can imagine. And I've been successful without sin. And I didn't do it because I was Superman and Clark Kent, and, and really, I, even though I looked like it was, I was only human, but I really was Superman all the time. I said, no, no, I had to depend upon the Spirit of God in my life. I had to dig deep into my, li- in my spiritual life and, and stay close to my Father. I'm always marked, you know, in Mark 1.35, Jesus arose up early in the morning while it was still dark to spend time with his Father. And he was... God in the flesh, but he needed that intimate relationship with the one who's above. And so as we go through this week, uh, we're, we're going to be enticed to do that which is wrong. We're going to be compelled to do not, not to do the things we should do. And, and what God just simply told you, you need, you need to learn and obey God's word. You need to be filled with the Spirit. And you need to run from the things that maybe are even good, but not the best for you. And do that which is God's plan for your life. And not settle for less. Let's pray. Well, all of us uh, can probably think of a number of things right now that we're struggling with. And you're, you're not surprised and you're not saddened because we struggle, but... You'll be saddened if we don't pursue you rather than just our own desires or the desires that are placed around us or those things the enemy wants us to fall into. But might we even in our own minds right now identify that which needs to be addressed this week? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something we're doing or some things we ought to stop doing. And might we recognize that, that your, your plan is that which is best for us. We should never doubt the goodness of God. Because all good things come from you. Father, help us to be a people that, that know, not only know you, but know of you. And what you want us to be. And when we feel like no one understands, might we know that you fully understand. And might we surround ourselves with people that are going to help us and not hurt us. But we want to live in such a way that people are drawn to a life that's worth living, that's full of abundance. But it's only the life that you can give. It's not going to be always easy, but it'll be awesome when we're following you. As we continue to worship this moment, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, might they know that this is the only hope in life. And Father, us who know you might realize this is the only really way to live. Help us to depend upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Beautiful name. 